because I always try to raise twice as much capital as I need for any given deal. Smart. Right. And in this case, I think we only needed like 750,000. We ended up raising like over 3 million from that call. The deal was fully funded the night of the webinar. There are millions of real estate investors out there and most are stuck with just a couple of properties. They want financial freedom, but their small portfolio ends up costing them more in time, effort and money than it's worth. Getting out of the rat race seems harder than ever. This show will help you do more deals, better deals and bigger deals. Finally, you'll be able to reach your income and lifestyle goals. How? By attracting and leveraging private money partners and their capital. Now get ready to raise more money because here's your host, Dave Dubow. Well, hey, 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 everyone. Dave Dubow back at you with another episode of the How to Raise Capital 101 show. And today, zooming in from so far away. Actually, that's a joke because Corey's, you know, in our neck of the woods, just kind of a stone's throw away. He's in the next big town over in Kelowna, British Columbia. I'm here in beautiful Kamloops, British Columbia. And and Corey um, is a very interesting real estate investor. He focuses on multifamily properties. But even though he's lives in British Columbia, he does all of his deals in the prairie provinces of Canada, primarily in Alberta. Do you have a few in Saskatchewan as well, Corey? I can't remember. I do. Yeah. Yep. All right. So Alberta and Saskatchewan. He's been doing this for quite some time, I believe over 20 years. He's got a bunch of deals under under his belt. And today we're going to be talking about kind of making the transition from joint ventures into limited partnerships. So Corey, great to have you on the show again. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you for, for uh, hosting me, Dave. And uh, yeah, it's more than a, a little bit more than a stone's throw away, but um I always look forward to going to Kamloops and we'll have to get you down here one of these days too. Well, hey, man. Yeah, we had you up here for our local real estate investment club meeting not that long ago. It was a big success talking about the different profit centers in multifamily investing. And in fact, Corey's come up with a new one that the rest of us hadn't heard of uh, before. So that was that was very, very enticing. But today, let's talk about the whole raising capital side of things. So Corey, for folks that don't know your story, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started with raising capital and what that looked like in the early days for you? Yeah, sure, Dave. In the early days, you know, I was kind of, you know, like many investors, just doing small deals. I was doing single family. I bought a couple of duplexes, you know, with with family members like my brother was my my first partner. But I never actually like raised pa- uh, passive capital from someone who was not actively involved in the deal. Okay. So around you know 2004, I syndicated in someone else's deal. So it was a guy in Edmonton, uh, Thomas Byer. He was doing a multifamily. It's like a 40 plex, and I just became a silent partner. And that's how I first learned how how joint ventures, you know, these um, kind of deals worked. And it was fairly simple. It was just one corporation. I think there was five investors. And it was just a super hot time in the market, right? In Alberta from 2003 to 2007. So you kind of couldn't go wrong. So I ended up being in the right place at the right time. But I did a couple multifamily deals on my own first. Um, You know, I was living in Saskatoon at the time around 2005. So I moved to Edmonton in 2005 as well. Mm -hmm. So first two apartment buildings I bought in 2008 and 2010. One was in small town Saskatchewan and one was in Edmonton. 
So I funded both those deals, you know, with my own capital, because I was always told, you know, you should have a track record first, you know, you should, you know, from, from start to finish, do it successfully, and then repeatedly, you know, and then you can ask for JVs. And I see a lot of people syndicating right out of the gate or raising capital. Um, I don't see anything necessarily wrong with that. I mean, it wasn't the path that I followed, but well, it, it makes it a hell of a lot more one. difficult to show a track record if you don't have one. Right? I mean, that's 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 the big challenge. So, yeah, I see exactly. so many people, like you say, wanting to raise capital for their very first deal because they don't have any money. And I don't know what your recommendations is, are, but my recommendation is always, hey, go put some sweat equity into somebody else's deal. Get that track record. Get that experience get that team in place and then then maybe start raising capital for your own deals. What are your thoughts? I mean, it sounds like that's you you didn't go that route exactly, but you got the track record first. Yeah, I know. I like I like the way you worded that getting sweat equity in someone else's deal. But but yeah, absolutely. I mean the, the conventional path is, you know, you get a job, you borrow money, you get, you know, get a house, get home equity you know, put your own skin on the line first before you <laughs> expose someone else's yeah. or you can just JV in someone else's deal too. And that's a yeah, great like, way like you did in that, like you did in that 40 plex, right? You went on board yeah. as a limited, well, I guess a joint venture partner in that deal, joint venture partner, but yeah. more on the passive side or were you actively involved in that deal? I was very fortunate because the guy I partnered with Thomas, he was very open. Mm. He literally shared everything and he kind of took me under his wing. Nice. You know, and I learned a lot about, you know, the process, how you do proper reporting. He was really good on on sending out reports, you know, being very, you know, transparent with his investors. Although we had just nothing but rising markets, we didn't have to deal with any kind of down downturn. So we didn't have any awkward conversations <laughs> that I would end up having later with my own investors. But, you know, yeah. if you're in the game long enough, as you know, Dave, you, you go through cycles, right? And yeah. eventually you run into these you know, these situations where it's not always a straight line. Yeah. Well, we'll unfortunately we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that as we go along yeah. for sure, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so it sounds, so you got, you got started self-financing, you JV'd in somebody else's deal. What was that first deal that you raised capital for yourself, brought on your own joint venture partners? And how did you go about doing that at that time? Yeah, so at the time there was a guy in Edmonton. He was he was a really famous investor called his name's Terry Peranich. He's a like a really well known realtor, but he also owns a lot of multifamily. Mm-hmm. And I went to this multifamily conference in 2010 where he was speaking, and he was a big public speaker. He likes to use his hands a lot, and he's saying you got to go driving for dollars. He's like you got to go cruising neighborhoods and find buildings. He says just get them under contract. Worry about raising capital later. You know if you find a good deal, the money's going to find you. Mm-hmm. And I thought. That sounds good, but it can't be this easy. Mm-hmm. I, so I decided I was going to kind of take a hybrid approach. I wanted to start the ball rolling. Let me call those conversations first before I found a deal. Okay, so good. I did that. Yeah. And if I had not have done that, I would not have been able to meet the needs of the capital in the short timelines, right? So I talked to a couple of coworkers, but it was mostly my family. Like my brother went in, my parents. But even to get your own family in, you need to have the conversations early. You can't just... Assume that they're gonna give you money because they love you. You know, yeah, yeah you, can't, you can't assume, as I learned the hard way, that somebody's gonna come up with a hundred grand to close on a deal with you in two weeks, right? You you need to you need to plant those seeds way ahead of time. Let me ask you this, exactly. Corey, because 
you know, we, we've got the same philosophy when it comes to the money of the deal. Ideally, the money should come first or at least get those investor conversations, get those soft commitments lined up first. Yeah. Um, this, this other gentleman that you're, you're talking about, he said, like so many gurus do find a good deal. The money finds you, but you said something that, that I found interesting. And I, here's my take on that. That's easy for a guru to say, right? Because they're already well connected. They've already got this extensive network of people who already see them as the expert, see them as the go-to person, see them as the deal maker, the rainmaker, the profit maker. And so for them to find the deal and then put the word out to their network, yes, that can work. However, as you alluded to, when you're first getting started, you don't have that, that, well, you had a bit of a track record already, but you don't have that network set up like these gurus do. So that's what ticks me off so much about the find a good deal and the money will find you because all the guys that tell us to do that have an amazing network primed and ready to go already. They've, they've already planted those seeds way ahead of time. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, I, I was, I've been teaching, helping people with multifamily too. And I basically say the same thing, you know, you're, you're starting from scratch, raising capital and the guru is like you say, and ultimately the people, they're not investing in those deals. Like yeah. they could really care less about what's under the hood. They're investing with that person mm-hmm. for, for that person's, hopefully for that person's track record and not for, you know, a Grant Cardone style rants they do online or something, right? <laughs> there are actually some stuff, substance behind that, but they're primarily investing with the person. Right. So I'm finding that now when I'm raising capital today is people are investing, they're investing in me because they know, they know who I am now and stuff. And they, they, they know before, you, so. they like you, and they trust you, right? That's and and the deal is the collateral for the investment. That's that's what somebody way smarter than me said, right? It's yeah. like you said, it's it's not the deal itself; it's the relationship they have with you. Yeah. So right now, today, I could go out like we just did on this deal in Fort Saskatchewan. You know, even though I haven't talked to some of my investors in two years, because I've put twenty years into this. I could find a great deal tomorrow and call these guys up and probably raise the capital in a week. Yeah. But exactly. if I'm just starting, if, if I'm guiding someone how to do this, it's a suicidal approach, right? Like <laughs> that's some, some of us crashed and burned on in the yeah. past. That's for sure. All right. So, okay. So you got started, you, you're doing joint ventures. If I'm not mistaken, you did, you've done like close to a dozen of them at this point. Um, so why are you looking at, well, first of all, why don't you kind of explain what a typical multifamily joint venture deal looks like from like maybe pull one of your your deals, your more recent deals, not the ones you're working on right now, but from a couple of years back. How does that structure look like, Corey? Yeah, I had a very good structure and you know, a lot has changed, but I'll go through the structure that I used for probably six deals in a row. Okay. It's pretty much exactly the same. I never use CMHC financing. I always use conventional financing because I didn't. Ha- my partners didn't have to sign personal guarantees, so I could sign the guarantee alone. And I would generally raise. So on one deal, for example, it was a fifteen plex. I think it was around one point four million. I raised about five hundred grand between four mm-hmm. investors, okay. so giving us a nice healthy reserve of about five percent of the purchase price. So it was twenty five percent down mortgage, twenty five year amortization. So after five years, I knew we were going to have a nice mortgage paid down in the event that the cash flow and the equity weren't there. 
which is largely true today in a lot of these deals, especially with the high leverage options we have now. Mm-hmm. So that that model worked very well. And from 2008 sure. yeah, to 15, interest rates were stable. So I could do conventional financing, 3.5% interest all day long. I could just and how, how were you setting these up? What was the structure that you had everything set up under? So I had one holding company that was like my, you know, my, my wife and I, so we had all in equities. So we would do a single company for each building. Mm-hmm. So the, the way, the way we did the split is we got 40% of the equity. The investors got 60%. They would contribute all the capital in the form of a shareholder advance um, that we would repay. And that was, would be of just, you know, a return of share capital. Then anything over and above that was split 60, 40 usually when there was a capital event. So, you know, when there's a refinance or, you know, in our case, you know, we would sell the building. So we had a kind of a projection going in of what we thought we could do in five years. And for the first few deals, we hit those targets bang on. And that was a model that worked very well for many years. All right. So you had a holding company, your holding company would be a partner in this, uh, a general partner in this new corporation that was purchasing a specific property, your investors would come on as um, as co-owners, as shareholders in this corporation. Yeah. They'd provide the all of the capital plus some cushion for the deals. And yeah. then, um, yeah, well, we won't get into the details on, on how that was divvied up and all that kind of stuff. Okay, very good. So that makes sense. Up till about what size or number of partners does that work for? And what are what is and I won't hold you to this, Corey. You're not a, a securities lawyer or anything like that. But you know what what are the kind of your what's your understanding of the rules and regulations around who you can get on board with these kind of these kind of joint venture deals? Yeah, this is part of what's what's changed a lot. And you know there are exemptions. You know, family, friends, close business associates. Uh, the biggest one is probably the um, accredited investor. You know, in BC we have one if it's. You know, if, if you have 150,000 to put in, you're considered accredited, not necessarily by default, but there's 150,000 exemption. So I, I was pretty um, diligent to get those done or get people to sign off that they were mm-hmm. doing. Almost all of the deals were with close people that I knew. Now, right. it could be challenged if everything, something ever went south on a deal. Knock on wood, I haven't, haven't gone there yet, but that's definitely something something you need to be aware of when you set up these these deals for sure. So it- it usually, usually isn't a problem unless the shit hits the fan. <laughs> it's yeah. the fad kind of thing, right? Yeah, no, it makes sense. Okay, so that's what you did for the longest time. What you see, you said you did that for a certain period of time. When did it start changing, and what did it start changing into? Yeah, so I think I did the last one of those type of deals around 2017. So there was a stretch where I did about six deals in a row. But I was finding on, um, I was raising anywhere from 500,000 to about a million. I think mm-hmm. 900 was the most. But in some of those deals, I had like eight investors. And then when they had their spouses on it, there's like 10 people that signed one unanimous shareholders agreement, which is the share the share agreement, right? So it gets pretty hairy when you have that many investors. So, so, so sorry, what, been, what's, what's yeah. the challenge with, what was the challenges that you were finding with that? Well, it was good that I didn't have to get anybody to sign guarantees because I was going conventional financing, but you still had to get this document, this unanimous shareholders agreement document signed by eight sets of people, you know, after they ran it past their independent lawyer. legal advice, all that kind of stuff. So their yeah. lawyers have to, 
chew it up for a while and justify their fees and and tweak it and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's hurting cats is basically kind of what I'm hearing. Is that long in the short? Yeah, but I was pretty. So what changed with the latest one? Because I did the same structure there. What, what was happening before is the the investors I had. I wouldn't say they're not sophisticated, but they're not real estate experts. So right. I did it by USA that was fair for all parties. I did that intentionally. So if they did have it looked at by independent, I could push back and say, you know, this is not lopsided in my favor. You know, this has worked mm-hmm. out fairly. And a lot of people did. They did get independent advice. I got them to sign off on a paper that they were going to do that, whether they did it or not. Right. Um, but, I, you know, I never, I never was challenged on it. You know, everybody okay. just signed the original draft. But the deal I just tried to do was a different story because we had sophisticated investors in this latest deal. In fact, we had one partner who I didn't know at the time is actually more sophisticated and experienced than me. So I got a bit of schooling myself, which was actually a very rewarding experience. But it's also kind of really painted the picture on the path forward of going the road of syndication, limited partnership versus those single... uh, corporation joint venture deals right okay so what 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 kind of came to light through this new experience what was it that kind of made you decide okay hey i gotta i gotta start looking at a different structure well the biggest thing was the guarantees dave because now with because because cmhc mli select essentially wiped out business for every commercial mortgage broker in canada who was doing conventional you can still get conventional financing, but with interest rates today, you're probably looking at six, six and a half percent. You can mm. still do CMHC for four percent. And then with this MLI Select now affordable program, especially on the prairies, every single investor seems to be dialed into this program because you can borrow at super high leverage, you know, 95% loan to value, 50 year amortization. This is the sandbox that as investors were almost forked to go in. Now we did a private loan for this for this latest deal, but one of the investors I didn't know. So I wasn't raising capital publicly. We had a webinar mm-hmm. where we invited I invited people on my email list. Now, I had a lot of people following me over the years, as you probably do too, right? People follow you, but they don't, you never talk to them. You don't know who they are until they contact you. Right. So this lady said, yeah, I'm interested. And she was in for 250000 I thought, great. You know, and then we got to talking and I realized like, okay, she owns three times as many apartment buildings as I do. She's done limited partnerships. She's done full syndications. She's telling me about all the pros and cons. And I'm thinking, holy shite, what, you know, what have I got myself into? But she recognizes a good deal. She wanted in on the deal. She was comfortable with the structure. But when it came time to do the USA, instead of, you know, me just doing my version. Oh, so and, for, for people that aren't familiar, what's a USA? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I kind of. So unanimous shareholders agreement Okay. in a simple corporation, right? It costs like a thousand bucks to make this company, mm-hmm. but the unanimous shareholders agreement is the joint venture agreement. So that is the, that is the agreement that spells out all the terms, you know, who owns the shares, you know, under what stipulations can you sell the shares? You know, what happens if someone dies, you know, all your contingencies are in there. Got it. So <laughs> when I came to doing the USA with this very sophisticated investor, we realized that our USA was not um, up to like 2023 standards, I'll say. <laughs> so there was some horse trading back and forth. Yeah. And to make it more complicated, we had a veterinarian who fund the entire deal on a private mortgage where he had his own lawyer and his own interpretation of the USA. So oh, wow. we're up against that tight timeline here, trying to get 
I don't want to say herding cats, but that's almost what it was like. Yeah. Because now I'm looking at it, whereas maybe I'm not necessarily the strongest person in my own deal. And I have to be extremely careful on this USA that I'm not shortchanging myself. Right. So it put a whole new dynamic on the whole thing. Okay. So it sounds, but it sounds like a little bit of a unicorn in this particular deal. This lady who's got so much experience being one of your partners, right? You didn't really know ahead of time. She knew you. She's been following yeah. you for years. I always find that amusing though. It's, it's, it's true though. You can have people that are, I mean, you're, you're, you're the real deal. You're legit. You've been doing this for 20 years. You know, your stuff, but you know, you, you can have some posers out there that have are projecting that they've got a lot more experience than they actually have that attract people that are way more experienced than them that for some reason kind of look up to them. It, it's, it's fascinating how that happens sometimes, but anyhow, so you've, you've kind of had this unicorn experience. Why is that going to cause you to, to change your whole model of business? Well, it, it didn't so much for that deal, but it's just the sheer volume of response we got from this webinar. Oh, so okay. she was only, so what I did is I have a, like a non-binding letter of intent. Because I always try to raise twice as much capital as I need for any given deal. Smart. Right. And in this case, I think we only needed like 750,000. We ended up raising like over 3 million from that call. <laughs> the deal was fully funded the night of the webinar. Nice. And I was like, okay. I said to my partner, Mike, I said, well, what do we do here now? We got like, you know, all these people that want to We better, we we better find deal. some deals. Yeah. 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 But you know, at the same time, we've seen a lot of these LPs where people will raise the money, you know, charge massive fees, et cetera, and don't have anything on any deal there. Mm. So it's basically a leap of faith to what they're going to buy. Right. So we wanted to be very careful to at least have a deal that made sense. We didn't want to raise a bunch of capital and just having it sit in there and be highly pressured to go out and buy something, anything. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the trick, the juggle that we're doing right now, right? Because we want to have the sort of the quasi commitment of the letters of intent ready to pull the trigger when we find a deal. But, you know, that's the main switch because for with a simple corporation, it's pretty easy. You just do it. Well, not easy per se, but um, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what do you see yourself doing moving ahead? What, uh, what are you going to be changing? So a lot of these deals, they're still rich enough. Um, still do on the on the old format. So now I have a bulletproof USA that has actually been torture tested by an extremely sophisticated investor. We have all these indemnifications in there, piggyback clauses, shotgun clauses, everything in there that you know protects both parties. So yeah. for example, we have a 12 suiter under under contract. Now we maybe only need 300 grand for that. Now is that worth spending 30,000 to do an LP? Probably not. Probably not, you know, no. but if I have, I have another deal that's, you know, a 50 unit apartment building where I need two and a half million. Well, now, yes, that makes sense. I can justify the cost of that LP and getting it all set up, you know, maybe even having an exempt market dealer offering them sales commissions, et cetera, to do that. But then it's a completely, completely different structure. So I think we're taking it on a deal by deal basis. You know, if we have these smaller deals that we can close with, with one person, because keep in mind, we still have to get the partners to sign a guarantee. Right. And that's a big deal, you know, a big deal. Like I mm-hmm. never had a guarantee called, and thankfully, and hopefully I don't, but it, it happens. It can happen. 
So yeah, that, that changes the uh, changes things tremendously. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, so Corey, you're you're at a stage now. You've been doing this for over twenty years. You've got followers for all sorts of things that you've been up to, and yeah. and teaching and training and mentoring and putting on events and all that kind of stuff. What kind of advice do you have for folks that are nowhere near that stage, but are looking to start raising capital? What 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 are your recommendations for people? Well, I always say, you know, do a deal first with your own capital. But if mm-hmm. you can't do that, it's a stretch. I know a lot of people don't have 500 grand to start with. Um, you know, partner up with two or three or four other people that are maybe you have opposing skill sets mm-hmm. and do an equity deal like that so that you, you know, you have 100% proportional equity going in. And that will help to build a track record. And I, I think you said at the beginning, I mean, not having money is a terrible reason to do a GP, <laughs> right? Like, and especially it's so tough today because everywhere you look, people are trying to raise capital publicly, right? Oh, on on all kinds of social platforms. And it's like jocking to see that. But yeah, I'd say yeah. just do your best to do a track record. Start with a track record. You know, hold hold yourself to account, a you know, high level of integrity, and just build slow. Yeah. You know, I know people now that I started working with a year ago. And one guy, he's a Sam, he's already doing an LP. He's beat me to the punch just because he's got a system in process. And now he's, you know, he's, I actually reached out to him for advice. He says, yeah, if you have any more than five investors or if it's more than 2 million, then you should do an LP. But you could ask 10 people that question and get 10 different answers. Right. When to go from LP to a single corporation. Now going to an LP, it might take the personal guarantees off of the, um, off of the shareholders, but there's other nuances that get added in. And expense. Exactly. Significant expense. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. No, that makes a lot of sense. Awesome, Corey. Well, this is, this has been a lot of fun and, and congratulations on getting that done. Sounds like that lady was a real pain in the butt, but in the, in the big picture, like you said, it's a big benefit because you're, you're getting, you said schooled, but you're getting educated, right? Just as you're going up, and and you're having to to bring everything up to that next level. And like you say, now you've got a bullet bulletproof USA for those kind of deals moving ahead. You're good to go for a significant amount of time. And now you've already got this pool of investors biting at the bit to to invest in your next deal. So now you've got you've got the comfort to know that should you find a smoking deal it won't be very tough for you to find the capital to, to, to close on that. So yeah, that's there's different, different investors too. Like some, like our partners, some people have a half a million to a million, right? Some people only yeah. target them, but some people, you know, with the LP, then you can, a lot more people can, can participate, exactly. you know, they can put in the lower amounts, but the lady for the deal there, I, I'm, I'm very grateful. She's actually fantastic to work with. I actually met her just a few days ago. Nice. And if I hadn't have met that, this, this wouldn't have turned out. So it actually, it forced me to be a more sophisticated investor. I was kind of, I wouldn't say I was unknowingly un- incompetent because incompetence is a bad verb, but I was, I was unknowingly, there was things that I could have improved on. It right. didn't realize. So no, I'm that's very awesome. For that. She, she yeah. forced, she forced you to kind of sharpen the saw a little bit. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's a good great. way to put it. <laughs> awesome. Corey. Well, this has been a lot of fun. If people want to find out more about you and connect with you, what's the number one best place they can go? Probably just my website, altonequities.com, A-L-T-Y-N, equities.com. Or you can find me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. You can just follow me there. 
um, usually posting some stuff. So yeah, come and check that out. Come and check out a webinar or something. I'm I'm always doing deals, raising capital, and doing shows like this. I really love what you're doing here, giving back. It, it's great. It helps a lot of people out. Well, thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. Always a, always a pleasure. And everybody, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode. This episode is brought to you by MoneyPartnerFormula.com. Our Money Partner Formula service allows you to raise all the private capital you need to do all the deals you want while we handle the hard stuff. We offer reliable and affordable done-for-you marketing services that get you investor meetings booked without all the work. So go ahead and check out the website right now. And then feel free to schedule a call with me and let's take your portfolio to the next level. Again, that's moneypartnerformula.com. Watch investor meetings pop up in your calendar. We handle the rest.